welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm Amanda, and I'm at the beginning of my journey outside of academia through starting my own scientific editorial service. I'm Ian, and I'm in the process of leaving academia, aiming for a career in science communication or editing. And I'm Dr. PMS. I've left academia about one year ago to work as a biotech salesperson, and I'm still in recovery. We're in various phases of transitioning out of academia, and we'll share insights, advice, and problems we encounter at each stage. Hi, welcome to the Recovering Academic Podcast. I'm here with Ian and Clady today, and we're talking about fear of failure. So, um, the fear of failure and how that affects you trying new things. So you're leaving academia, which is what you know, and then you're going out and trying something new that you might not have been specifically trained for. And that fear of things not going well the first time out of the gate can be paralyzing. So for me, um, as an academic, I am used to things to being right most of the time. We're trying to get things right. And I don't want to appear that I am not, that I don't know something or that I'm showing, I guess, showing weakness. Like when you give presentations and stuff, you never want to sh- give them like any mm-hmm. hint of weakness, you know, give not giving them bl- any blood in the water. Yeah, you want to show that you know everything. <laughs> right, Exactly even if you don't. And so making that jump to something that I don't know as well was really intimidating for me. Yeah, I think that you you caught something, uh, two things in academia that uh, we tend to be perfectionists, perfectionists mm-hmm. yes. in academia. So we always wanted to be perfect and... Um, and if it's not perfect, it's not good enough. So that's kind of like we are taught like that. And and then whenever you go out of your comfort zone, then, then you don't know if it's perfect or not. Right, <laughs> <Because> yes. <laughs> it's not even like, oh, uh, no, it's not good enough. You don't really know what to expect so yes this can be very frightening and paralyzing it's terrible yes like I tend to be you know I think as academics like we try to make sure that we have all our bases covered and we're really thorough and that we haven't overlooked anything and I found for me like if I was filling out like before I transitioned like when I was filling out job applications I would dither over like the smallest detail because I was convinced that if I got like one small thing wrong, that would be my entire application and they would throw it in the trash. And I'm not talking about like anything significant, but just, you know, misplacing a comma or something. Right. Yeah, that sounds like whenever you're doing some experiment and then you forget to add the antibody or something like that and then you screwed your whole experiment. (laughs) (laughs) So that's what how you felt. Right. I mean, we're also trained to not trust our own positive thinking, right? We're, we're trained people, like scientists are trained to go to challenge our confirmation bias as much as possible. And like thinking something is perfect or good, it's just, it's really hard to make the call that 
yeah, it's perfect and good and ready to go. Uh, right. So like, I mean, that's one aspect of it, like being perfectionist in like writing applications and cover letters. Like that's how I was taught to write academic manuscripts too, where like literally like you pour over it, you go over 30 different editions, passing it back and forth between you and your PI and figuring out just the right language and how to tell the narrative and what, you know, how the figure should look and, you know, just the right wording for everything so that it's as perfect as possible before you like, yeah, before you send right, it in. Everything's super nuanced. Right? It's like you pour over that document. And like, I mean, even with like career search things, people tell you like, yep, not a single typo in your resume or a cover letter. Like it has to be perfect. And you know, that, that is paralyzing when you're actually searching for a job because you know, look, I, because it's not going to be. It just isn't. Uh, you know, you can, uh, yes, fine, achieving no typos is probably possible with two short documents, but, you know, like, we can't take into account the person who might or might not read it, and, like, they may just, like, yeah, it's just not going to work for them. Like, you know what I mean? And, like, there's no right. way to, like, account for that. I, you know, for that level of uncertainty. But on the other hand, you you you're in academia and you work so hard to edit your manuscript, uh, your grant to make no typos and go through tons of uh, mm -hmm. editions, and yet still you get rejected uh, a lot of the time. So the, sure. you send for a publication and then you you that is some sort of failure in that regard. And still, you, yeah, you feel bad, but you revise and resubmit or submit to another journal. Right. And I guess that uh, that's a little bit of the view that you have to have when, whenever you have this fear of failure, mm -hmm. uh, when applying for jobs, for instance. I mean, you're, you're not going to apply for one job and get the first job that you apply. That's kind of like very <laughs> idealistic. Let's put it like <laughs> yeah, that. Right. So. But at the same time, it's also not a volume business, right? It's not necessarily that applying for all the jobs is the right strategy either. But I mean, yes, like we are used to rejection in academia. Like our experiments don't work. Generating knowledge mm -hmm. is hard inherently and like you know i mean the thing is like even with all the perfectionism that we tend to develop and have you know we get things wrong all the time like because we don't have the full picture like we're literally creating new knowledge so mm -hmm. you know like that's not an easy process yes. yes uh but i don't although you say that uh applying for all jobs is not the right strategy i tend to think that for instance, when I started applying for jobs outside academia, I will apply for jobs where I was like 100% fit for right. that job. Mm -hmm. If there was like one single thing like, oh, um, the candidate has to have experience with X, Y, and Z. If I had experience with X and Y and not Z, I will not apply because I was yes. like, oh, 
I can't. I don't fit. Right. I, well, and I can't do that. Like, that was my fear was like, they're going to ask me about Z and I'm going to be like, oh, I can't do that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I can learn it. Like, I feel like I can learn it, but like, that would be a total disqualifying thing because I was not perfect for that job. Right. Yeah. But the thing is that sometimes you have other, you don't have Z, but then you have uh, W that was not there. Yes. And and they may they may be interested in your W and forget that you don't have Z. And in that case, you won't know if you don't apply. Yeah. They're gonna love my W. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah. The, uh... <laughs> oh, Ian, you're too funny. I couldn't help myself. Um, oh, that's great. The uh... right. So uh, yeah, I mean, I guess another. Like I just had an aspect of this. Another aspect of this is, I mean, not just in applying, but like, you know, when you actually have that new job or you're like, you're trying yes. a new field or you feel like, oh yeah, like I sort of have a handle on, you know, doing this, like, you know, being in a new field, like, yeah, you might totally crash and burn. Like it's not an inconceivable right. thing that happens it's depending on the field you actually choose, you know, like it's not hard to like mess up or feel like you're, you know, beyond where you actually are. You know what I mean? Like that stuff yes. worries me. Like, you know, like I think many scientists probably know about the Dunning-Kruger effect where like, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. the more novice you are at something, the more expert you tend to think you are at it. Whereas most experts at things tend to think they're sort of rubbish at whatever yes. it is they're actually expert in. I mean, it's not exactly that, but that's essentially the phenomenon where like, you know, many experts tend to be, self-deprecating and very like well yeah but yeah the more you yes. know the more the less you feel you know it's essentially that right the more you know the more you know you don't what you don't right know. exactly yes. and so like i think a big concern of many academics like transitioning into a new career field is just that like yeah i have a phd i spent many years in academia i should know how to do stuff and i don't or like you know what i mean it's just like, getting over that hump yes. of how do i figure out this new environment how do i like, I mean, for me, like, how do I even get to that new environment, even though, mm -hmm. like, I have a direction, like, I have getting experience in that new direction, but, you know, like, when do I know it's enough? And, like, how do I know if I'm doing a good job? And, like, I guess, like, I guess sort of my gauge lately has been, well, I'm not getting any complaints, and nobody's necessarily, like, praising me either, but that I think means that I'm at least functional at what I'm doing. Right. Like every so often I'll yes. get like, a, Oh yeah, yeah this is yeah. awesome. But you know what I mean? Like for the most part, I'm like, okay, as long as nobody's really noticing and like, I'm just humming along doing my thing, then like, I think that's probably okay. And like, of course, like I check in with myself and have other metrics to like, to try and like maintain right. some level so that I don't, you know, try to ensure that I don't just completely crash and burn. But like, yeah, I mean, this fear of failure is definitely a thing of, like, it, it's a lot of, an, it's inertia in actually, like, applying for things. Because, you know, like, getting rejected, like, it takes time to process. And, like, unfortunately, getting a job rejection, it takes me time to process that before I really feel like, oh, yeah, I guess they need to apply for more jobs now. Like, you know, it's just this thing of, like, I just need time to process that rejection for some reason. I don't know why. Like, I should be used to it by now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm not. Yeah. Like I'm kind of going through a similar sort of thing like when you mentioned the um Dunning-Kruger effect mm -hmm. like 
so, you know, I do, I have my long-term kind of, um, really steady work with Bite Size Bio, but I also do editing work for grants and I've got my own business with that. And I'm running into this where I need to, I hesitate to use the word market my business, but I guess that's what I need to do. I need to like contact people that I know or contact universities and stuff and say, Hey, like, could you let people know that I can do this and I can help you out with, you know, people who speak, you know, people who have English as a second language who might want somebody to go over their stuff or who might need help, you know, tweaking things for clarity or whatever. And I have that same sort of feeling of, yes, but maybe, maybe they won't want me or maybe I will be bothering them and, and annoying them and then they'll hate me forever and I will not be able to get any more customers. And, you know, then I go into this whole, like, thing about how I'm failing, which I'm not. Like, I know objectively I'm not, like, empirically, but, you know. I uh, have the same type of feeling because I do uh, have to talk to professors about the equipments that I'm selling. Mm -hmm. And and then sometimes, I, many times, I feel like, oh, I don't want to bother them and I don't want to feel like I'm pushing things right but one thing that um helped me is to think of it as you are offering help in a way you're not just asking mm -hmm. for a favor you are like offering your services but in the end they are going to have in your case uh well edit edited document and in my case they will have an equipment that uh, might be useful for their research so I guess that the thing that you need to to the way that you see the, this thing has to change a little bit that you're yes you're selling service but in the end uh, they might not know that you're there so that's the other thing sometimes yes. the person that you're talking to doesn't need but then eventually they will get to a point that they know someone that might need and then that's where you have to be on their minds that they will remember you and they will uh suggest your name yeah but you no know, i think that's exactly right and you know i mean it also like you know there's different ways to present yourself like you know amanda could create like the poster with her having her arms crossed like on the you know with the text of like hey edit, freelance editor like hire me like and post it on the bulletin boards all over campus mm -hmm. i don't know if that's like the actual right thing to do but like at the same time <laughs> it, you know like it's a it's a thing that people do right like it's a thing right, that exists yeah. like as a you know like i mean i never pay attention to those things but like you know like who knows maybe you'll catch somebody's eye that way like there's diff there's different ways of going about like you know, selling what you do. Like, you know, if you're just emailing people you already know and like other departments that you know of or people you know, being like, hey, like people know that I do this. And like, I think that is, you know, like it's very subtle in a way because, mm -hmm. you know, it's just like word of mouth. And like that usually is the better way to go, in my opinion. Right. Right. It's not like the bash you over the head marketing. It's the, hey, you know what? I do this. And if you know people who are looking for this, guess what, have them look me up because, you know, like, and, you know, you'll get referrals, like, eventually, right? Like, that's the whole thing of, that's the whole thing of figuring out 
how to get people to refer you, you know, refer you. And like things will grow from there. And like, you know, who knows? Like, I mean, I don't know. Do you already have regular clients? Yeah, I mean, I do. Like, that's why I'm like, I've I've got some people who come from like my old university. And then I've got people from um, another couple of universities that like will send me fairly regular stuff that I've got contacts with them through their um, like whatever their research, like their office of sponsored research, whatever they end up like, whatever that university calls it. Yeah, I mean, that actually might be a good way to go, too. It's like if you get in with, like, Office of Sponsored Research people, like, who know who you are, like, they can definitely refer you to, like, you know, like, they see the grants all the time, and, like, they have to right. read them all the time, too. And um, But anyway, so this is just, like, but I, my point is, like, a lot of this, it really is, like, I mean, I think it works for introverts, especially, like, to actually, like, try to make that per- in-person one-on-one like connection one at a time mm-hmm. and build over time. Like, I think that really works a lot better to like, you know, get over the fear of failure and like figure out how to like push your voice out into the world, like very slowly one piece at a time. Yeah. It's that whole getting the voice out into the world thing that I always yeah. am like, well, what if they hate me? Or what if like, you know, what if they say, like you were saying with the job rejections, like it takes you time, like it's not personal and it takes you time to like process it. Like, what if they say like, no, does that mean that I'm entirely failed at this? Like it doesn't, but it's hard for me to separate that out. Right. And it happens to me every single time I try to hit publish on a blog post or something. It's just, I, you know, it's a hard thing oh, really? to do. Yeah. Every time. I mean, it's, I mean, it takes me time. Like, I mean, these things take, like, emotional effort to, like, do and mm-hmm. put out. Like, even if it's not, like, a personal confessional blog post, mm-hmm. it's just, like, these things, like, they take effort and they're hard to put out in the world because, like, you know, they're your words and, like, they matter to me. And, like, I hope I've done a good job servicing the story I'm trying to tell, and, like, that it resonates with people and, like, eh. You know, there's a lot that goes into that. See, I always let, I always thought your bro- your blog posts are always really well written, and I enjoy them. And then I just kind of figured that you're like getting up the effort to hit publish just was something that I figured you were old hat at. Yeah, I mean, it, so, it is. So I feel bad that you feel like that, but it, conversely, it makes me feel better. So you know. <laughs> right. I, I mean, it, yeah. I mean, at the same time, like, I mean, I've gotten used to hitting publish, but at the same time, like, there's always that feeling, especially. Because, like, I'm trying to get better at this, too, right? Like, I'm trying to... Right. I'm not just trying to, like, you know, like, fine, I can write an okay story right now. I don't really do reporting, but, like, I think I would like to sort of maybe try to move in that direction a little bit. Like, you know, so, like, I'm always trying to, like, do my due diligence better in my stories and, like, have them better sourced and better researched and better looking. And, like, that mm-hmm. takes effort. And, like, you know, pushing my storytelling limits it's not easy. And so like whenever I'm trying to do something new and different, like that feeling comes up, especially. Yeah. And I guess that that comes to the point that uh, failure is just part of life. Yeah. Uh, the only person that does not failure is the person does not fail is the person that doesn't try anything. So every time that you're going for something new, you're going out of your comfort zone, you're going to feel afraid. And, and eventually you may fail. But as scientists that we are so used to rejections and uh, failure, failed experiments, we should try to, I don't know, my mom always 
used to tell me like, okay, what's the worst that can happen? They're all going to laugh at you. Right. <laughs> well, no, I mean, the worst that can happen is, yeah, I mean, well, that, but there's also the, you know, like, oh, I just can't find a job anywhere because, you know, like, hey, I'm that much of a failure or whatever. Um, or like nobody, like nobody's willing to like pay me to do the things that I seem to like gravitate towards actually doing. Um, which is a scary thought, but yeah, that might be, uh, that might not be like, a a failure problem, but, uh, remember in the podcast that we were talking last week about being stuck? Yeah. Yeah. They were talking about the gravity problem right that right. some things you can control and some things some problems you just cannot control mm -hmm. they're just out there so right. there might be like no one will pay you to do what you want to do but it might not be because you're not good enough it might be because there's not a culture of people paying for authors to write blog posts right Let's which put is it like that which is true there is not yes. a market for yes. that anymore yeah. as much so that's a more like a gravity problem than right. a failure problem that's that's my point there oh that's a good way to think about it yeah yeah exactly i mean i just like I, it might not be a you thing it might be just a system thing right and i have to show people that i have a w that will impress them um <laughs> <laughs> or you will do something else and that, so you you know that you cannot get a full-time job doing that, but maybe you can get a part-time job doing that and a part-time job doing something else that will, uh, you will ha do whatever you love half of the time. So you can show them my GH&I. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just going to extend this analogy until it's dead. Um, right. Oh my God. Yeah, something like that. Sorry. <laughs> uh, yes. So, right. No, that's, you know, I think that's exactly right. What you guys are saying. Like, I mean, this fear of failure thing is just, I mean, it's a battle you have in your own head more than anywhere else, right? Yeah. Because, you know, like, and the other thing is, like, it's a universal experience for, like, you know, it doesn't, like, whether you're a scientist or not, like, it's going to happen to you. Yes. Um, and... You know, yes. it's just like, you know, it's just something that, you know, like, I mean, not to be cliche, like, you know, the only constant is change and sometimes you're up and sometimes things are going to go be wrong. And it's just, you know, like you adapt to it, like, cause, and, you know, and you figure out how to respond, like, as best you can, like, hopefully mindfully and, you know, hopefully with some wise counsel if you need that sort of thing. But yeah, um, like, I guess, what... yeah. Even when you were talking, it made me think when you were talking about like in academia, we're used to this. I think that as people who have gotten PhDs in academia, we're used to succeeding at our career, like the um, for certain, you know, certain qualities of succeeding. Mm -hmm. But, you know, all of us have obviously we've all gone to college and graduated from undergrad. Some of us might have gotten master's. We've gotten to the PhD. We've done that we've gone on to some of us have gone on to postdocs um you had to do reasonably well during your phd in order to be able to graduate you might have gotten you know awards at posters or this that or the mm -hmm. other thing so like we've all 
done reasonably well up into this point and then taking this leap kind of into a different direction like even if you're heading into something like industry which is more what you're doing it's still a different game with different rules right and i guess what i would i don't know if either of you have watched the expanse at all but what is the expanse um, it's a sci-fi series. Like it's streaming on Amazon right now, the first season. But anyway, it's a sci-fi series where basically humans have, you know, still live on Earth. Mm-hmm. Mars is an independent, like, you know, colony, and then there's these people who live in the asteroid belt and do mining and stuff called belters. And like, there's these three populations of humans, and like the extreme version of sort of like the career transition is like you're literally going from Earth to Mars, say. <laughs> Right, this is brand new territory and environment to get used to. And even more extreme, if you're doing this switch, you become a belter where gravity is really low and way different. Like, there's this, you know, idea of, like, how dramatic a shift are you making? And I think there's some proportional fear of failure that goes along with just what the shift you're trying to make is in your life. Yes. And, like, you know, a key to, like, learning anything, like, because learning is hard. Like, you know, we all know that intuitively. It's just, it's hard to, like, learn to, one, not take feedback super personally. And, like, that's an important mm-hmm. lesson every graduate student learns, I hope. Um, yeah. Yeah, my journal clubs definitely got me to make sure I never took feedback, you know, personally. Yeah, you can't. Right, and then. Our journal clubs are rough. Right. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah they certainly can be no like our lab eating like, like mine's like mine were particular like ours were particularly rough like our um the professors were definitely all about preparing us for they were the hostile, real world but like yes yes like they weren't gonna sugarcoat things like we were they were they were tough it was good though it was yeah. a good experience yeah that, that was like my qualifying exam like I mean, our journal clubs are tough, too, but not, like, I don't think they're quite what you were talking about. They're, like, they weren't as bad as qualifying exams, but they were, like, in that realm. They were in the ballpark. I wanted to come back to Ian's uh, sci-fi thing, Mm -hmm. because that made me think about uh, my biggest fear when, whenever I was transitioning. It was... Uh, actually, it was not really if I would do a good job or not, but my the thing that I will fear most is was if I was going to enjoy doing that, because oh, uh, I am a person yeah. that I I I cannot work or spend I don't know eight hours of my day doing something that I hate. I'm mm-hmm. not that type of person, and I, I, I was never that type of person. And whenever I was in, I went to academic world because I really enjoy doing science, and I love doing experiments and doing research, and I really <clears throat> like that. So this was one of my biggest fears, and I guess that that might, if I didn't, it will be a failure. Like, okay. Now I I quit, I left academia, I went for a job, like, unknown, and what if I don't like it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, there's definitely that aspect to it, too, because, like, you're stepping into something uncertain, and, like, can you design your life, like, that you, how you, like, you think you're stepping into something, but 
like, yeah, I mean, sorry, what is it? The, I, I think it would, what is it, like, yeah, anyway, sorry, I'm not going to think of it. But <laughs> the, um, uh, yeah, but like, you know, like you think you're stepping into something that you're going to be slightly familiar with because you've probably intentionally moved in a specific direction for your career or you've thought about it in a specific way and then like you get there and you realize it's not like that at all or like it's a lot different than you thought it was or there's things you didn't know about it ahead of time that make it even more challenging and you feel like oh i'm not gonna have the life that i exactly wanted and like i'm not sure how to adapt to the new circumstance yeah right I guess I kind of went through that when I was making my, like when I decided to transition out of academia was that like I had gone single-mindedly for this one thing. And then I got to the point where I was like, okay, I'm going to be able to have this. And I got to kind of trial run it. And I realized, oh no, oh no, 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 no. This is not going to work out for me. I need to do something else. And like Clady was saying, like I knew that I couldn't do that for eight hours a day or 12 hours a day or however many hours a day that I would work as an academic and um, still enjoy my life. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess like, you know, what we're saying ultimately is, you know, you, you still like even if it's N equals one, which is, I think, another issue that we all have with experimenting with our lives. Like you have to do <laughs> these experiments. Right. And like you have to navigate as best you can and you know find the people who can help you along the way because they they're there like there are people who will help you yeah. along the way but like there is that aspect of like you know the n equals one brings up fear of failure a lot more acutely right for for people for scientists i think especially maybe yes well i think there's something that lady was saying about um we were talking like she was talking about the experiments and like things fail all the time and we have rejection and what have you. And I never really took that personally because I was like, well, you know, I'll figure out. I mean, I can't say I was completely just kind of like hunky dory with it all the time, but I knew there was things <laughs> that I could tweak to figure out to do things better or different next time. And I never really, there were times I got upset about it, but I never took it personally and I never considered it. Oh, well, you know, my life is over and I'm never going to succeed. Whereas with my transition and in my process thereof like every little thing like is a setback and that's indicative of my entire future career and I think taking some of that attitude of how I treated my experiments and depersonalizing it and saying okay well I tried this and it didn't work so now it's time for me to tweak it and try this instead exactly that's like that would be the way that I need to yep. think of things right and yes. I will note something like related to that that you know, like comes up with like people who have depression, like the setbacks, no matter how small or minor, just seem massive all the time. And so like, you know, part of the reason it takes me time to recover is I still think I have some of that going on. Yes. And so again, something that we sort of know is like that mental illness, especially depression and anxiety are pretty common in academia mm -hmm. and yeah. like maybe not more so than other fields, but like then what we know in academia is it's prevalent and probably rising. Um, and so like, that's another aspect of this where like, you know, yeah, like I can now I, I've gotten enough beyond it to like not take the setbacks super personally. And like, you know, I can get back up on my feet, but like there was a time when just any little thing would just knock me back, like, and just put me on the floor for a while before I could get back up again. And like, I think, you know, depression contributed to that. So like, that's just something you know, not to end on a downer note, but that's something else that can actually, you know, 
contribute to fear of failure or just even like wanting to try again in the first place. Yes. But like you do have to get to that place of like being willing to keep on going and nose to the grindstone. And like the Eureka moments happen maybe every so often, but they're not really common. Like it's just sort of like you keep going, right? That's the thing. Like you keep trying and you keep pushing and you keep going. Yeah, I believe that in a way, uh, I know that if you, um, if you're depressed and you take things and you've just, it's, it's tough to just say, okay, you need to feel like this or like that because there are feelings. But maybe if you start to take, uh, try to see that, as Amanda was saying, not at a personal level to begin with, like since the moment that you apply for the job and try to just think about the possible outcomes and think that being rejected is is an option and and then trying to understand why and be better next time and just not, I think that uh, applying for jobs and being rejected, it's also can be useful as experience so then you can be better you will be you like you have a better cover letter you have a better cv and and you will actually get a better job and i think that in the vein of um like mental health and mental like illnesses like self-care like if you haven't if you're not If you're not seeking treatment and you need to, then you need to do so. But if you're kind of, as I think of it, as kind of a maintenance level, like self-care is really important in being aware of how you're feeling during this mm-hmm. process, like during transitioning and those fear of, fa- fear of failures that come, those fears of failure that come up. Um, I know that like for me with suffering depression and anxiety, like I need to make sure that if I'm having these sort of feelings to practice the things that make me feel better. So like mindfulness, Mm -hmm. talking to people, um, getting a good shift in my perspective from this is personal to like when Clady was saying about, you know, kind of figuring out how to tweak it and make it better next time. So that is definitely something that I think that everybody needs to keep in mind. Yes, I agree. Yes. I think that might be a good place to kind of wrap things up. Right. This um, week. Wait, wait until they see my A. Oh, <laughs> oh that sounds bad, doesn't it? Sorry. I think get one more of those in. <laughs> Just you got that one in <laughs> under the wire. So right. I want to thank everybody for listening this week, and we'll see you guys, or we'll talk to you guys next time. All right. See you. Yeah. See you next time. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Recovering Academic Podcast. Our music is from bensound.com under a Creative Commons license. You can find us on the web at recoveringacademic.net where you can contact us and subscribe to our newsletter. You can find all of us on Twitter. I'm at Lady Scientist. I'm at Dr. Underscore PMS. And I'm at IH Street. And don't forget, there is sunshine outside the ivory tower. <laughs>